Well, John 11, 1 through 16 is going to be our sermon passage for, for this morning. So if you didn't see in the bulletin John 11 and didn't have a head start, uh, go ahead and hurry your way to John 11. While you're turning there, um, I'll just remind you, if, for those who maybe glanced at our e-newsletter that went out this week, I, I offered a little sermon teaser, as it were, uh, uh, sort of a, a preview that set context to it. I said, for some of you, there may have been a time when you really needed God to show up, so to speak, as we use that term. You really needed God to show up, and he didn't. As in, in your experience, in, from your perspective, as I mentioned in that newsletter, we know God is uh, present everywhere all the time, right? We know that it's not true that there's any place that he's not really there. But in the way you experienced that, in the, in, in, in the way you felt that, in the way you needed him to be there and were hoping that he would be, that he, he just seemed not to be. And it wasn't just that God hadn't answered your prayer. It seemed like he wasn't even present to comfort or console you. I don't know how many of you can identify with that. I'm assuming there are some. Most of us, when we're there, don't admit that we're there. Right? We don't say that out loud. We say to everybody around us all the Sunday school things about we, we, we sort of announce what we know to be true about God, and yet we're left feeling very different. Where are you, Lord? Where are you? Or in the past tense, where were you when I needed you, God? And again, those words might not be uttered out loud, but they are stirring in your heart at times. How do we make sense? How do we try to make sense? of those moments when God seems absent. Well, we're gonna look for answers to that question together from John chapter 11, verses one through 16. And I'm gonna ask you if you're able to stand and honor the reading of God's word and as we listen attentively to his voice. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. 
Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Sorry, we already did pray. You be seated. (laughs) Well, Jesus, you remember, if you were uh, here last week, Jesus had been in the temple during the Feast of Dedication, uh, which is around the December time frame. It said even explicitly it was winter. And after that encounter, it said at the end of chapter 10, he went down across the Jordan River to the place where John had been baptizing, and he remained there. We know, actually, just sort of doing the math, as it were, he remained there for a few months because that was the end of chapter 10. By the end of chapter 11, uh, the Passover is drawing near, which is a springtime feast. And so from around the end of December to the Passover, he is remaining on the other side of the Jordan River. And one of the other things that that means uh, is that the the Passover is approaching. Even though we are just now reaching the halfway point in the Gospel of John, meaning half of the Gospel is still left, there's only about two weeks left in the life of Jesus. Two or three at this point. It's that close to the end for him, which is a little bit of a footnote, but instructive to us as we get ready uh, to approach the Easter season. And um, again, in some church traditions, uh, uh, entering even the Lenten season as people uh, perhaps fast and uh, pray and um, repent and uh, look ahead to that season or whatever. That season is upon us, even in the text. We'll be entering that last week here soon. But during that period of time, toward the end of that period of time, when Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan, Lazarus became ill, very ill, obviously. And Mary and Martha knew that Jesus loved Lazarus, it said there in the opening verses, so they sent for him. And uh, they simply sent word to that effect. It reads as if they'd sent a messenger and effectively just said, Go find Jesus, tell him Lazarus is really, really ill. To the point of death. But you notice they didn't even ask him to do anything. They didn't ask for Jesus to do anything. They just said, tell Lazarus, tell Jesus Lazarus is ill. So apparently they just thought, assumed it was obvious what they wanted him to do. Come heal him. Right? It was obvious that it should have been obvious, they thought, that he would want to do that himself. It says he loved Lazarus, so he ought to come heal him. But Jesus didn't go heal him. He stayed two days longer where he was. Mary and Martha watched their brother get sicker and sicker. Some of you have lived that kind of experience. Perhaps many of you have lived that kind of experience. 
where the minutes are long. When you're living, fretting by the minute, hours and days are long. Mary and Martha are here watching their brother get sicker and sicker. They watched him die. They prepared his body for burial, put him in a tomb, and Jesus was a no-show. They sent for Jesus, and he didn't show up. How do we make sense of that? See, because it's one thing to read the story when you know what happens next in the story. It's a, it's a totally different thing when you are living in the two days, isn't it? And that's the, that's the unfortunate part about life, that we live in the present. <laughs> Without knowledge of what the future is going to be. There's countless ways it could unfold and for us, but before us, but we are, we are living in that two-day period, minute by minute, hour by hour perhaps. And of course, sometimes it's more than two days. It actually, in their case, ended up being more than just two days, right? It was, uh, he was dead for at least, he was dead for four days by the time Jesus showed up. But for sometimes, in some cases, we have those kind of experiences for more than just days, it's a very protracted period of time, and we're waiting. They were waiting. Jesus didn't show up. How do you make sense of that? In those times of need, when God seems absent, we need some reminders about God's perspective we can't entirely see from God's perspective. And here's the other thing that I'll say. Even as we have those reminders about what's true about him, and what's true from his perspective, in the moment, those truths are not necessarily satisfying. They are sufficient, okay, they are sufficient for us to hold on to their faith, hold on to our faith, but they are not always satisfying. It, it's sort of like when, you, when, when you're sick and uh, somebody is trying to get you, you need to eat something. You really need to eat something. I don't have any appetite, but you need, you need to eat. I just don't have the taste for it. And there's a sense in which in those two-day experiences, when God seems absent, even what's true about God, we know it's healthy for us. It's just not appetizing. It seems it just isn't going to satisfy the place of hurt that we have at that moment. And again, I would say as a little bit of a footnote, this is instructive to us because there are times when people, even in the aftermath of those experiences, are left going, why would God let that happen? And there are good answers to that question, but they're not helpful at that moment. Right? You understand where I'm coming from? If you've lived any semblance of it, you do. It's, yeah, I know that's true. It's just, it just doesn't hit the spot. 
And that's the little disclaimer we might put on this. I am not suggesting that here's this sort of three-point incantation, you can say, that's going to make it all better. There's not a magic wand you wave at it that just makes you feel happy even in the moment of despair. It's not necessarily satisfying, but it is sufficient for us to hold on to our faith in that time. And so I want to offer three reminders here that we need about God's perspective when he seems absent. Number one, we see here that God has purposes that you don't understand. God has purposes that you don't understand. We see in verse four, Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the son of God may be glorified. He has a purpose, an abiding, overarching timeless purpose to glorify himself. That has always been the case. He's worthy of it. No one else is. And he delights in his own glory. He will glorify himself throughout all time. And that's his purpose uh, that's at play even here. And what's going to happen is that the son of God is going to be glorified. So the one who just in the previous passage declared, I and the father are one, he is going to show just how one they are. Because Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead next week. Well, next week's sermon. Uh, it, it already already happened. Brian Slater, by the way, is going to be preaching that next week and look forward to that and appreciate his willingness to do so. But he has the purpose of being glorified in this situation. And then verses 14 and 15 says... Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. He has the purpose of not only glorifying himself, but establishing faith in the hearts and minds of his sheep, and then building up that faith. That's one of his, that's one of his abiding purposes. See, so we know that, we just don't really understand it, right? We don't understand how that works out in the real lives of real people. We don't understand how that makes sense. We don't understand as we're living in that two-day period, waiting, assuming we know what God's going to do, because surely he would want to do that. That while we are there, we don't have any perspective on how God's glory is going to be manifest in that situation or how our faith is going to be built. And we're really not all that interested in our faith being built at that moment. We're interested in God showing up and doing what it is that we want him to do, need him to do. So we know that he has purposes that are higher. We just don't understand them. And that was surely the case with Mary and Martha. It's true for you and me, and it will be true uh, in the next crisis personally that uh, meets any one of us. And we just need to be reminded, God has purposes we don't fully understand, but he is uh, working things out so that his purposes are achieved. And that leads to reminder number two, that God has plans that he has not revealed. I'm making a distinction here between 
purposes and plans in the sense, again, that the purpose, his purposes are those things that are sort of timeless and abiding. He always desires to glorify himself, and he will. He always desires to uh, give faith to people and build up faith in people. That he would have people who believe in him and glorify him. But then he has specific plans at specific times for how that's going to work itself out in the lives of specific people. And that's the case here. Verse 11 says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, again, they think he's talking about him just being asleep. He's speaking of the fact that Lazarus was dead and he was going to raise him. He had very definite plans He had not revealed that to anybody until that moment, right? To his disciples. Now he's revealed that. Previously, that plan hadn't been revealed to anybody. But Martha and Mary don't have a clue about that. He has a plan. But it's not been revealed to them. It'll be clear later. Or at least clearer. But as yet... They're in Bethany, he's on the other side of the Jordan. They're in despair, in need, and waiting. He has a plan. They don't know what that is. Now, once again, the same is true. The same is true for you and me. When we're living in those moments, we don't know what the plan is. There are those occasions where we get some sense of just by, by way of a word from the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the scriptures in our times of prayer, we get some sense of a plan that he has for us, some assurance perhaps. But even then, we, we just don't know. He hasn't revealed to us specifically what his plan is and how that's gonna unfold. And see, Mary and Martha had no idea about this plan. And and in in fact, if they were even to have speculated about this, they would never come up with the option. Oh, you know what I bet. Don't worry. Don't worry. You you know, he's probably gonna die, but then Jesus is just gonna raise him from the dead. that, That is nowhere in the list of possibilities for them. He hasn't done that one before. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him walk on water. Seen him restore sight uh, to people born blind. Never seen him raise the dead before. Don't even think of that as an option. He's got plans that he hasn't revealed and plans um, that are going to bring about his purposes And in our own experience, that, that, that gets added to uh, the story God is writing on our lives of how he's manifest himself, how he's provided for us, that he is as good as he said he is and so on. Uh, there are plans to bring that about, but he hasn't revealed them. We, and we need to be reminded of that. That when we're at that point of such despair that we just think, 
you know, I just, I'm not even sure I ought to believe anymore. I'm not even sure I ought to be praying anymore. Um, I thought God loved me and maybe he doesn't. I thought he knew me, maybe he doesn't. I, there were things that I've believed that maybe aren't even true because I, I, can't, I just can't make sense of that and what I'm experiencing right now. And when we're there, we need to be reminded God has purposes we don't understand and he has plans that he has not yet revealed. And then third, we need to be reminded that God loves you and is working for your good. Even by remaining absent, as it were. And, and, and the way this the way this is revealed in this passage of Scripture is not, not just some uh, trite, you know, Christian platitude or cliche kind of thing that we say, well, God, you know, God loves you. Be comforted by that fact. It is a staggering, stunning uh, revelation here in the Scripture of the ways in which God loves his people. But we need to be reminded he loves you and is working together for your good. Look at verses five and six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I actually preached real uh, a kind of a short message from this passage right at the beginning of COVID and some uh, may remember just visiting this text and making this observation. But if you read verses, uh, well, really verse, well, verses five and six together. If you were diagramming this sentence, here's what he says. Jesus loved, so he stayed. They sent for Jesus. Lazarus, the one you love, is ill. He's ill to the point of death. They, they just assume he's going to come running because he loves Lazarus and that's what you would do if you love somebody. They assume, in other words, Jesus loved Lazarus, so he'll hurry. Jesus loved Lazarus, so he'll come immediately. And the text says something altogether different and shocking. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so he stayed. You see, that doesn't say what we think it ought to say, right? If we were explaining, if we were trying to explain to a little child or explain just console a loved one, we would say, yeah, he, God does love you, but he just... He has other plans, uh, whatever. We, God loves you, but this is how we think it ought to read. Jesus loved them, but he stayed nevertheless. Or that Jesus loved them, so he hurried on. One or the other, right? Jesus loved them, so he stayed doesn't make sense on a human level and especially an American level. 
where we kind of assume, you know, God's always going to bless us with comfy, comfy living. We kind of assume we live life mostly in control, and when it gets a little beyond our control, we can call out to God like Batman, you know, the sort of bat signal in the sky, and he's going to come running and rescue us from the situation. Jesus loved, so he stayed, doesn't fit into our theology because we've got bad theology. Because that's what the Bible says. And listen, it is, it, this is what's interesting to me. There are even some contemporary translations. Most, probably most every translation anybody's looking at right now reads more or less like that, what I just said. But there's a couple of uh, more paraphrased kind of translations that say things like, uh, Jesus loved them, but he stayed. Or, so although Jesus loved them, he stayed two days longer. Now, the text of Scripture doesn't say that. But see, it's so, uh, it, it, it is, it's so dissonant to what we think we, it ought to say and what we understand about love. It just shouldn't say that. Do, do you feel how uncomfortable that is. I'm trying to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> Upon receiving word from Martha and Mary about Lazarus' condition, Jesus stayed two days longer because he loved them. Because he loved them. Not in spite of the fact that he loved them. He stayed two days longer because he loved them. Now consider the implications of that. Because again, if, if you're honest, it will wreck the theology of some people. There, there's certain sort of prosperity teaching that has no place for John chapter 11, verse 6. It does not fit. Because here's the implication. Jesus let Lazarus die because he loved them. That's, that's exactly what this says. Jesus left the sisters alone in their grief minute by minute while he got sicker and sicker and died and they wrapped him up in grave clothes and put him in a tomb. He let that happen, not in spite of the fact that he loved him, because he loved them. And that is shocking. That is shocking of all the things we've formulated in our understanding about the love of God. And again, all the things that we think we understand about love on a human level. It just seems incompatible with our view of Jesus. But see, what we know, we, we know in this case how the story played out, right? He, he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. I mean, I've never experienced that personally. That seems better than a healing to me. I mean, right? If you're going to tell stories in the years to come about a miracle God did for you, raising somebody from the dead who died of sickness is even better than healing them from sickness. 
although healing is pretty good too, and I'll take that even right now. <laughs> but many of us know the experience of uttering prayers that seem perfectly in tune with the heart of God. We're praying things, again, almost with assumptions like Mary and Martha had. Uh, we're praying things God would want us to pray. Uh, we, you know, he loves Lazarus. So we just let him know about Lazarus' condition and, and surely he wants him to be healed as much as we do. There are, there are times when we pray uh, prayers that seem perfectly in tune with the heart of God like asking God to heal a loved one or praying for your child who's gone astray or the marriage that is falling apart or on and on and on. We could think of dozens of other examples of things that we know are God's will, at least in, when we think about those overarching purposes, we, we know that it's consistent with the purposes of God that we're praying because the, the scripture says these are the purposes of God. And so we're praying like 1 John uh, 5 says, in this we have confidence that we ask anything according to his will. We know that he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. And so we pray according to the word. Surely God, this is what God wants to do. It's consistent with his word and so forth. And we pray and pray and wait and wait and feel like we're sitting alone in silence. And in that hour, we need, we need the reminders that God has purposes we don't understand. But beyond the trial, we will have a deeper understanding of those purposes. Among those, God, uh, God desires, his, his, he has a purpose, a chief purpose of glorifying himself. And at the, on the other side of the trial, he will be more glorious. We need to be reminded he has plans that he hasn't revealed, but that he is executing. Even right now, even during that two-day or two-month or whatever period of despair and questioning, that even then he's executing his plans and his plans are good. That's hard to believe sometimes in that hour. And again, that truth even falls short of feeling satisfying in many cases. And maybe above all those things, we need the reminder that all of that, he is working together for good because he loves you. It's a paradigm buster, but it's a good one. To know that in the moment where I I'm hanging on by a thread to my very faith, feeling like I've been forsaken. That even the way that's unfolding is unfolding according to God's design for his purpose because of his love for you and his love for me. And so we can... Depart from this or whatever, 
uh, walk away from this text with the assurance, Jesus loves you so. That's what I titled the message a couple of years back. Jesus loves you so. So he stays instead of hurrying to your rescue. So he doesn't give you the thing that you ask for, even though it seems like the thing he obviously ought to want to give you. Jesus loves you so. He does what's beyond your imagination, beyond your comprehension, and certainly beyond what anything you would ask or imagine. But in the end, he'll be more glorious and more beautiful to you because of it. Let's pray. Lord, we do just acknowledge how shocking it is to read this phrase here that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus so much that he did the very thing that seemed the most unloving for one who could have come, the only one they knew who could have come and changed the situation. And that that would seem to be the most obvious love, obviously loving thing to us. But Lord, we are, we are left perplexed by the truth that you love us so much more that your plans for us are so good and so far-reaching that the big picture you see that we're a part of is so much bigger than we have any perspective on. That our future, because we are in Christ, that our future is eternal and nothing about life on this earth is the good part yet. And Lord, you love us so much to work things together in such a way that it would deepen our understanding of that, of those truths to glory in them more and more and to exalt yourself in our own understanding and experience. God, I pray that you would do that in the lives of people, even seated right here in this room right now, who are living in one of those seasons. Or maybe who have come out of one recently and are still waiting to see what was the plan, what is the plan that makes any of this good. Lord, would you be gracious? Would you be gracious, Lord? And God, even while we wait to understand that, would you give us something to hold on to with the reminders that you have higher 
purposes, that you have plans you haven't revealed, that you have love that's beyond our comprehension. And even while that doesn't seem satisfactory at the time to, to our emotional hurt, Lord, would you just cause it to be sufficient for us to hold fast to our confession of faith without wavering. Because you who promise are faithful. And Lord, would you hold us fast knowing no one can snatch your sheep out of your hand. Would you hold on to us even when we have lost our grip altogether? Minister even now by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.